Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today on the show, venture capitalist Mark Peter Davis, managing partner at Interplay Ventures. Mark has a lot of great ideas for people early in their careers and even has an interesting hack to avoid business school, even though he did get an MBA. We're back from Vegas. Money 2020 was three of the busiest days of my life, running from a meeting on one side of the convention center to a meeting at the Starbucks and then back to the PayPal lounge in the exhibition hall. With times constantly being changed and we had 17 meetings, we only saw two of the conference presentations, but that's how you want it. The real action, that would happen at night with parties. They started around six. There probably would be 40 events happening at once. It's a little overwhelming, but you just try to get the invites or sneak into the events that are more startup, uh, venture capital focused. And that's what we did. These were long days drinking with VCs and other startups until about 12 or 1 every night, and then meetings starting again the next day at 8. So what's the result? We've already had one follow-up meeting with an investor who came to LA after the conference. That one I would give about a 50-50 chance. It's a big-time investor, though. If he comes in, we'll be set. We're headed to San Francisco this week to have a few more of these follow-up meetings, and I'm actually moderating a panel at a fintech event called the Fintech Inclusion Summit. There's an investor panel there, and they got the idea that I'm good at asking investors questions. I wonder how they came to that idea. We're really close to getting one of these big investors to come in, and then filling up the rest of our seed round will be no problem. It just takes one. That's what we keep saying. Getting someone to be first is hard, though. There's this phrase I heard, everyone wants to be first in line to be second. That's pretty much the case here. So we'll see. These next two weeks... They'll be game-changing, depending on how the round fills out. But you guys will be first to know. Also, everyone that I speak with, they're really active on Twitter. So I'm trying to do that now, too. So follow me, at Agrodnik, and see pictures of my dog and a carrot I just picked from my garden. Quickly, Wall Street Oasis has been around for 11 years. The site gets a million visitors a month, and they know what they're talking about when it comes to getting a job in investment banking, private equity, or at a hedge fund. Their courses have thousands of crowdsourced questions, proven interview techniques, everything from cold emailing to negotiating an offer, modeling training, and case studies. So check them out. Hey, Mark, Peter Davis, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. 
Thanks for having me. You're a venture capitalist now. Uh, like everyone, almost everyone who's a venture capitalist, you didn't start your career out as one. You wound and twisted your way there on your journey of your career. I'd love to just you know start at the beginning. You graduated from school. Were you thinking, I need to be an entrepreneur? I need to go work for someone? What was your mindset? Yeah, I mean, my narrative really started earlier. Uh, entrepreneurship for me uh, was less of a career choice and more of something that I felt compelled to do through my entire life. I was selling baseball cards in elementary, candy in junior high, computers to graduating seniors in high school back when that was a viable thing to do. Uh, and, you know, when I was young, I really thought it was all about money. But as an adult, it's become very clear to me that there's something more um, connected, some sort of uh, creative outlet, uh, an experience that I have with entrepreneurship, a connection that I have. That's really motivated me. So by the time I got to college, I still didn't know what the hell I was doing. I tried to start five companies in college, uh, was 0 for 5, no idea, and came out and, you know, I was to a certain extent following the herd. Uh, you know, there was certain types of firms recruiting on campus, consulting banking shops, uh, and I thought those were kind of the natural things to do. And I was competing with everyone else and kind of following the kind of the conventional mindset. The one thing that was really helpful to me along the way, though, uh, and I did end up going into consulting to start my career, was that uh, my then-girlfriend, ironically now wife, who became a career counselor at one point in her career, uh, had, you know, had a better sense of who I was than I did and knew that any steps I took, I should be taking towards the path of entrepreneurship. That's what I was doing with my free time. And it's something that you can actually do as a career. So I didn't go directly into entrepreneurship. I think I came out of college with an awareness that I didn't know how to do it and was picking, making career choices as best I could to learn the trade. Uh, uh, and they weren't necessarily the perfect career choices, but they were the best ones that I understood to do at the time. Right. This is the same thing that happened to me, the same thing that happens to lots of smart, driven people graduating from school. You get caught up in like going after these prestigious jobs that everyone else is going after. But you had, so you, you got a job at Bain, right? But you had an internship in investment banking, right? Yeah, I did a summer at Lehman Brothers, uh, which used to be a bulge bracket bank. I guess for, for younger folks, they probably haven't heard of it, but it was, it was kind of in the ilk of uh, like a Bear Stearns, J.P. Morgan, Morgan Stanley Goldman. They were one of the other ones. They went out, uh, they went under in 2008 uh, and rolled into Barclays. Uh, did that. It was a great experience uh, and it was a great learning opportunity. I think it became obvious to me that consulting was more likely to be a training ground for the entrepreneurial skill set that I was looking for. Now, in hindsight, it wasn't necessarily the only training ground, but the, the logic I had at the time was that I thought if I did consulting, I'd be better positioned to kind of pick up some skills uh, to be able to build a company. Right. Well, now, are... the reality is I think there's, there's a lot of bankers who do very well at entrepreneurship and a lot of people who do neither of those who go into corporate or directly into startups that find their way. Uh, but that was the advice I had at the time. Yeah, well, those are nice options to have. So you, and it's cool that you got to see banking and consulting. I don't think I've spoke with someone on the podcast who's who's done both. You usually do one or the other. So fine, you had a little ten week stint. You saw banking; it's cool, but consulting might be better. When you look back on it now, do you think it was the right choice? Between the two of them, yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, I, I do think banking gives you a better uh, skill set for obviously the financial side. Um, but there are a lot of tools that you learn in consulting. It's basically the most important thing is it's a way to think. 
just like, you know, I think college is less about what you learn these days because knowledge is kind of commoditized with Google and otherwise. It's far more about how to learn, how to think. Uh, cons- the consulting mindset, I think, is a useful, it has a method to it, almost a scientific method for kind of analyzing business problems that I think is super useful in running companies. So hindsight, I do think it was a very good place to go. I also think that the... Uh, the, the quote-unquote training programs, the consulting firms, the banking shops, um, you know, and the other places that people pick those up, do those programs, I think those are a great way to start a career even for an entrepreneur. There's a lot of things that I think that they teach you that are actually not the things they're training you to do. So it's not about learning necessarily modeling. It's about how to be in a meeting, how to follow up, uh, what cor- you know, corporate dynamics are like, what professionalism is. Um, the pace of business in big organizations, uh, and you know, then it's obviously refreshing when you get out of that. But understanding those different kind of softer, connective elements of those jobs, I think, uh, are very, very useful starting points for a career. I don't think people have to have them, but to do a year or two of that is definitely not a waste unless you have a pressing business idea or opportunity you have to chase right away. Right. It's, uh, it keeps a lot of optionality on the table going to do one of those jobs. So fine, you go to Bain. It opens doors, but it opens doors, but it, it, it's more than that. It actually, I think, is a foundational training uh, skill set that I think can apply to the rest of the career. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, so Mark, you're, you're at Bain, and now you, you've done a couple of years, and that entrepreneurial bug is probably still nipping at you. So is it, is it entrepreneurship time now? Yeah, so I, uh, I, I did a mistake that I would advise people not to do. I, I couldn't figure out how to get into the entrepreneurial game in full force. I just didn't see the path. And I think at the time, I also had a little bit of FOMO of kind of getting off of the conveyor belt, uh, which, you know, kind of the corporate America, moving your way up and get, getting into bigger corporate jobs or financial jobs or whatever. And so I ended up doing more consulting. Uh, and I think that was one of the biggest mistakes in my career. I did learn a lot during the period, met great people. So, you know, it wasn't, you know, all negative for sure. Management standpoint, I think the right thing would have been at that point to have jumped out and either started a company or joined a startup. I was in New York and at the time, New York was quite a bit smaller. There was a startup community that was, was thriving, not at the scale of today. I just couldn't figure out how to get into it. Had I had anyone in my life who was in the startup community, it would have been very easy. They would have been like, hey, come to these events or come meet some friends. And I think I would have ended up making a job switch. I just literally didn't see the door. I couldn't figure out where the the door was into this uh, business. And so I ended up staying in this consulting job for four years after Bain. And it was great in some regards, but I probably, you know, would have been just as happy with uh, one to two years of that and then having moved on. Uh, in hindsight, the right move would have been for me, if I had known about it, was to start going to startup events. Had I done just simply gone, to, started going to events after work, uh, I probably would have had a different career path, at least for the two years, uh, the second half of that, uh, that stint in that consulting role. Okay. So that's, a, that's my advice for folks who are listening. If you're in a job where you feel like you know, you've kind of ramped up for the most part, and you know, one thing I thought at the time, I was like, oh, well, my next employer will be super impressed by the fact that I was here for four years, not two. I don't think anyone cares. I think they just look at a logo and a logo is a logo. You know, you're there. If you're there for six months, it's probably a little too short. But after that, uh, people are really looking, you know, they kind of check a box. When, 
and they see that you've been somewhere and done something. So the incremental years don't have as much impact on your next move as, as I kind of I thought at the time. So had I had good advice, I would have started going to events. Uh, and I assume that I, you know, at that point in my career, the, the right move probably would have been to have joined a startup and learned something about startup operations. Right. So how do you think about, about doing that? You're just saying I'd go to events, I'd meet founders, I'd see something that struck me as interesting, see if I could join as like the first employee, something like that? Yeah, that's all it takes. I don't have to be the first employee. You go to events, you meet people, you can, you know, you start figuring out with who the companies are and who the people are involved with them. You can join a more developed company, you know, getting into a 50 or a hundred person startup. You're still learning about the ethos. You're learning about the culture, you know, how the businesses work, how they get financed. You're seeing what the different types of roles are in the organizations, which are not the same roles that you see in consulting or banking. So I think just by going to simply show up to events, uh, you kind of begin the journey. And what I found when I started going to events later in my career is that the startup community is super welcoming. So there's a whole lot of people who are at those events who have done the same path. They were in a more traditional job in many cases. They decided to make a switch. They went to the events and people were welcoming to them. And so I find it's a very inclusive community. Uh, and there's a lot of information, a lot of people willing to help. You just literally have to show up. And usually they're free. So the, the bet, if, if, you're, if you're in a, if, if a listener is hearing this and they're in a corporate job, and they figured out in their heart of hearts it's not for them. And it is for some people, but it's just not for them. And they belong, they feel in the startup world. There's one step that you need to do and one step only. And I think it's simply just start going to startup events after work. You do that and the process will kind of take, take over. Okay. Well, that's encouraging. Um, you went to business school, right? I did. So where did this, where did this fit in on the timeline? You're still in consulting. You're like, I've done this for four years now. Right. Trying to find the way out. And so I went to business school uh, looking to make the transition to the startup world and the venture world. Uh, and my dream at that point was to move into VC. And so I actually I, I applied to business school. I got into Columbia, quit my job. And uh, before the summer before I started in school, I actually started interning at a venture fund in New York. And that made all the difference. The second I started interning at the venture firm, I started going to all the same events I should have just gone to two years ago two years prior, uh, started learning a ton about the business. And I stayed in the internship uh, through business school and then joined the firm full-time after. So that ended up, it ended up that the process of going to business school opened my mind to going and working in an internship. I think one of the easy hacks people can do is everyone who's in a job uh, has trouble fathoming the idea of working for free, right? You're going for making X dollars a year. You're living comfortably going and working for someone for free is kind of an absurd concept. But the second you switch over to the idea that you're a student and you're going to business school, the idea of interning and working for free or for very little is a totally reasonable thing to do. And for me, I actually got my job that I had after business school before I even started my first class. What really needed to happen was I needed to make the mental decision that I was okay working for nothing. And by doing that, I was, getting into, I was getting into an apprenticeship role into an industry that's hard to get into. And so I, my, one of the things I think that's a hack for people to kind of think about, which is maybe counterintuitive, is the idea of if, if you decide business school isn't for you because it's expensive uh, and maybe you feel that it, you don't need it, and that's a, a debate and it's the right for some people and wrong for others, uh, you have this lever of going to someone and saying, hey, 
Uh, I really am interested in learning your trade. Can I work for you for free? And if I do a good job, you'll figure out what to pay me. And if you make that move, uh, for some folks, they could probably avoid business school in its entirety and move into the career they're trying to get into. Because, I mean, it's essentially what I did. I just made the internship take two years because I had to finish my business school program. Now, I love I loved my business school experience, and I'm glad I did it. Uh, but I, I, I do think it's not for everybody, and it's, de- it's definitely not necessary if you're in the right career already. So those are the kind of things to juggle and figure out. But that's yeah. a move that pe- most people don't think about is the work for free without going to school. Right. It's a powerful one. Yeah, it's that, I love that, Mark. I worked. I had multiple different free internships while I was in business school, plus paying for business school. So if you don't have to pay, I mean, that's a that's a great uh, trick. I like it. Yeah, I mean, candidly, it's oddly, it's a way to save money. Yeah, it is. It is a way to save money. Cool. It's a way to save money. Yeah, that's you got a funny framing your mindset like that. Okay, so that's really cool. You got into a super competitive industry you got into venture capital something that i don't think going to business school even really is a great program for getting into it. you know going to business school is great for getting a job at a big company if you want to go work for a vc fund even if you go to harvard or stanford it's still going to require some creativity some hustle which you exemplified so you did that you broke in um and and so how is it how long ago was that uh, business school. Uh, this 2006 is when I started. So it's been a few so, years. Yeah, 12 years. Um, and you've been, so this was at a pretty prestigious venture capital fund, right? Yeah. Uh, so DFJ, which is a, a, a big Silicon Valley venture firm at the time had kind of, uh, an international footprint funds in a whole bunch of different geographies. And the firm I was at was called DFJ Gotham and they were a New York based part of that network. It's so kind of represented, I think, for the most part, the East Coast of the United States. Got it. So you're there. Are you focusing on a specific industry? Like, what are you, what are you doing as a you know a recent MBA venture capitalist? Uh, so it was an early stage IT focused fund. Uh, you know, I think what associates, senior associates, the title varies a little bit by firm, end up doing is uh, a smattering of deal sourcing, deal evaluation. You're sitting in meetings and pitches. You're doing diligence. You're going out meeting folks and trying to figure out who's working on the next cool thing. One of the things people don't advertise too much for small and medium-sized funds is that you typically don't have much in the way of a back office. So you're doing a fair bit of administrative work. Uh, there's actually two customers for VCs. You have the entrepreneurs, which is who everyone thinks about. But the other customer, which is arguably the primary customer, for, is actually their limited partners, the people providing capital. And those range from uh, high net worth individuals to universities to endowments. And those firms require a fair bit of reporting, and the fundraising process for VCs is onerous the way it is onerous for entrepreneurs. So there's a lot of work that people don't think about when they think about the glamorous VC job, uh, which relates to kind of customer service of LPs. Um, that's important work. It's it's important work. It's just not as it's not as sexy as the uh, as seeing the next big thing, the next great idea. So it was doing all of those things, which was a great experience. I learned a tremendous amount. Uh, it was a chance to kind of get a sense of deal mechanics, uh, the culture of the industry, which is different from a lot of other things I've worked in, uh, and also understanding you know, how to provide a good service platform for both entrepreneurs and LPs. Uh, so 
it's it's a it's an it's a great industry. I think VC is interestingly, I like to say, it's way harder to get into than it is to do. Uh, the line out the door for a VC job is is hundreds, maybe thousands long, uh, and there's probably many many people in that line who could do the job very well. So it's one of those games where getting the job is just so much harder than actually being good at it. Uh, and so that's the the art is probably more in getting in. Uh, you know, or more complicated to get in than it is to be exceptional. Right. So you got in by working, offering to work for free. Is there anything else that you can attribute differentiating yourself? Yeah, it's timing. Break? Yeah. You know, I, I, I think uh, there, so when I got into the internship, uh, I had one conversation with one friend who made one intro. And next thing I knew, I was interning at a firm. When I left that firm, uh, you know, a handful of years later, after business school, 500,000 people applied for my job and the resumes were exceptional. So I think it's actually a little bit less, this is going to sound a little backward. It's a little bit less about being qualified. I think that's super important. Obviously they're looking for super qualified people, uh, but there's so many very qualified people approaching who want those jobs, who are seeking them and who in the traditional channel of a job posting goes up will apply. The game is really determined. The outcome is really determined earlier. It's all about who, in my opinion, is standing at the door when the door opens. Imagine this. You're, a, you're at a five-person venture firm, which is probably a medium-sized firm. It's not huge. It's not a lot of people. You don't have a lot of resources. Suddenly, you want to bring on an associate or senior associate. And you have five people, and everyone's busy. People get deals. or meeting with LPs. They're writing up memos, whatever they're doing. Uh, and they're busy during their day. And they're going to networking events and sitting on panels and the whole gambit. Right. So when when you are at one of those firms and you suddenly want to hire somebody, you don't always run this massive process where you get thousands of resumes, you parse through them, you interview 50 people. That's a tremendous time suck. If you have a back office staff who does recruiting, great, but most firms don't. So what they do is they build relationships with folks over time. And very often those are people interning at other venture firms or their venture firm. It's people who have been entrepreneurs or working in the portfolio or people who have just made the effort to reach out and be helpful. You know, maybe they've sent the VC some deals and just were being useful and a good resource and were friendly, made some good introductions. And so I like to think of it this way. The VCs are just going to walk to the door and open the door and they may not announce, you know, that they're looking for someone. And so everyone may not know to line up at the right time. Whoever's standing there actively waiting is going to be in the consideration pool for most of these roles. So if you're interested in venture, the game doesn't start when a job posting goes up. Many of these jobs won't get posted. The game is about getting coffee, networking, building relationships, adding value to the firms along the way, and becoming friendly with people. And so that means send them deals. Go out of your way to, when you go to networking events and you're looking for your own jobs. Find interesting companies. Float them over to the venture person, you know, someone at the venture firm. Uh, help them out. Be useful, be friendly, and then when they open the door, you'll be on the short, you're, you know your good odds. You'll be on the short list of opportunities, and you should tell them, "Hey, I'd love to be considered for a role if you guys ever hire." Uh, but beyond that, it's just about trying to stay in front of them in a way that's not annoying. You don't want to be there asking for the role; you want to be there adding value, right. making I intros, mean, pushing companies to them. I really like the idea of you don't have to have the job to provide value to the people at the job. You can. Just like you're saying, you can send them deals, you can show them interesting companies, you can send them an article or something. I mean, you can ping them and, and provide value without 
having a job or getting paid by them. I mean, that's perfectly normal. It's a, you said it's 500,000 people applied for that job. So differentiating yourself is providing value. Absolutely. So come bearing gifts. Come when you get to meet them, come bearing gifts, bring a deal, bring something. Don't just show up do the meet and greet and have an ask. There's a lot of people doing that. Show up and be helpful because you're also not, you're not just being thoughtful. You're not just making an impression impression. It's also an opportunity to demonstrate skill set. You show up with a deal. You can say, Hey, I'm bringing this deal. And I actually think there's some good things about this deal and some bad, things, some analytical thinking in the conversation about the gift. Uh, and it's a way to kind of make an impression on people. Okay. So love it. Providing value. You left, you left this super prestigious job that 500,000 other people wanted. Why would you do 500 that? to a thousand, not, not 500,000. Yeah. I thought um, that was a little, a little crazy. 500 to a thousand people. What'd you leave yeah. to do? Uh, I went off to start my own company. Uh, and I also joined another venture firm as a part-time partner, a venture partner. So that was my next step in my career. Uh, and you know, I, I think one of the things in venture is you in that role, you don't get to learn as much about the actual real operations of a company. And that is something that a lot of VCs can manage and do their job very well without. Uh, but for other folks having that well-rounded knowledge and understanding, and it's one of those things you can't just learn from a textbook. You have to live it, uh, is very helpful for enabling people to be effective in the role. So I went out with the goal of starting a company uh, and uh, kept a foot in the venture game by, by joining as a part-time partner in another firm in the city. And so that was a kind of a nice balance for me. I got to keep my, my hands in the deal dynamic, but was really focused day to day on trying to build something uh, and going through all the hardships of entrepreneurship and, and le- learning kind of firsthand what works, what doesn't, uh, and making plenty of mistakes in the process. That was my next thing. And then from there, I, I went on to start my own firm. Uh, the, comp- the company I started ended up not getting traction, which was very frustrating. It was a very challenging time for me. Uh, but I'm grateful for having had the opportunity to have the experience because I learned a tremendous amount. Uh, and I leapfrogged from that to starting Interplay. So I started Interplay about six years ago. Uh, Interplay has, uh, it's a two side, it, there's two sides to the business. We are a venture capital firm. Uh, but we also have a foundry side. So we literally start companies from scratch. And you know, I'm grateful for the operating experiences I had along the way because they informed this method. So we, we literally have idea recruit teams and launch companies. And I believe uh, we, the companies we build have been generally to date been B2B companies. Uh, and I believe we're one of the largest provider of services to the startup community uh, in the U.S. So we provide about, a dozen, about 10 services to... Uh, uh, venture-backed companies of all scale. I mean, we, we literally at this point work with thousands of companies, everyone from some of the big blockbuster names down to brand new firms. Uh, and we do everything from, uh, you know, uh, insurance, commercial and health. We do marketing services, business process outsourcing. So things like data entry, customer service and beyond. Uh, we do leadership training, uh, uh, office and facilities management. So office cleaning and management. Uh, recruiting, and then accounting, taxes, and uh, CFO services. We also do development and design work for some of the bigger companies out there. Um, so that's, that's kind of a, gives you a sense. I, I think the stat that we kind of tossed around internally, which I think is, is, is correct, is we service something like 10% of all venture-backed companies in the United States, meaning that one out of every 10 venture-backed companies uses us for at least one of our services, not more. 
Uh, and it took a long time to build that. And so we, we built that. We have a venture investing platform. Uh, and that's kind of the crux of what Interplay does. Wow, that's very impressive, Mark. Pretty cool. How'd you come up with this? You know, this is not a normal approach to raising money and investing in companies. You said, I mean, everything that you're doing, you know, I, I think, yeah, the outsourced services thing, I, I think the services side of the world was frankly a little bit of a bad word in the venture community. A service business was kind of a diminutive comment. Uh, and so a lot of people weren't out chasing, kind of making the world better for the entrepreneurs who are building stuff. And why that frustrated me is I am a big believer that innovation is very literally the driver of mankind's progress. I mean, you think about the definition of what the industry is really doing. Uh, and if you believe in a degree of exponential change where impact today has very material impact in the future, if we can make the venture-backed companies even 1% more efficient, 1% more likely to succeed by taking out things that might kill them, stumbling blocks around getting their taxes right, or you know, making an insurance mistake, or creating efficiencies through BPO or marketing, um, if we can make them 1% more successful, uh, I think the downstream impact is pretty material. So I felt there was a social good to doing this. It's also a business opportunity. And lastly, I really wanted these services to exist because I wanted to use them to uh, support the companies we're investing in. And as I build other companies, uh, to have those companies use them. So it just needed to be done. It, it kind of put it another way. And uh, I went out and rolled my sleeves up and took on the mantle and started building. That's really cool. Um, I, I love it. I love what you're doing. Interplay is so cool. This has been a really fun conversation. I'll get you out of here on this talking about advice. You've had a lot of great tidbits throughout this conversation, but I don't know if you have kids, Mark, but you're talking to your son or daughter, or you're like able to look back on your career now from where you are. Is there something you would tell a young person today of advice early in their career of, you know, following their passions or trying to figure out what's right for them? Yeah, uh, I do have kids, and I probably will say some version of this to them at the right point. I think the game is understanding who you are, right? I think we all have very different superpowers, and if you really hone in on what you're good at early, the earlier the better, to be candid, uh, you're more likely to strengthen those skills, just on getting proficiency in the areas where you're never going to be amazing, and surrounding yourself with people who complement your weaknesses, fill your gaps. Uh, I think that is the key to team construction. I think it's the key to making generally good decisions. I think there's probably some sort of uh, reason why we all have such different skills and capabilities. Uh, and working in groups and teams is kind of the key to building and creating and moving mankind forward. Uh, this idea of the Superman CEO or the super women CEO who has everything and knows everything and has so much ego that they don't need anybody else. Uh, it's not, uh, it's not reality. And it may be very challenging for people to figure that out. Even if people have the wisdom to know that they are, they do not have all the skills. The next challenge is figuring out which skills you actually do have and really distilling it down. Uh, the closer you get to really narrowly understanding that, the, I think the better your odds are for picking the right career path for starting companies and having them be successful, for understanding what types of risks you should, even down to you know personal things like what kind of spouse and other things that you would want uh, to make life fulfilling. Uh, so 
It's a know thyself moment. And I think it's, it's frankly one of the most challenging things we as humans are faced with. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's well said. Sometimes just understanding who you are and what you want, that's very hard. And then once you've gotten a grasp of that, which business school helped me get, then it's figuring out how to go execute on that, which you talked a lot about in this podcast. And this was really fun conversation, Mark. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for coming on. Cool, man. Thanks for having me. Okay. Talk soon. Thanks so much for listening today. If you have any thoughts or advice for me, I would love to hear it. Send me an email, alex at wallstreetoasis.com, or just leave me a review on iTunes. Thanks.